Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Today we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke called, How It All Began. There are lots of people who claim Jesus as a mascot for their cause, but they've imagined him on their own terms rather than taking him on his. This series looks at the earliest days of Jesus' public ministry to better understand the true heart of his life and message. Today, we're considering why Jesus doesn't heal everyone. Have you ever had a terrible headache that just won't go away? You try to rest, you use cold compresses, you try Tylenol, but nothing seems to help. Li Fuyan knew that kind of pain. For four years, he had been suffering with almost constant headaches. Strangely, he also experienced breathing difficulties and even bad breath. He tried all of the regular pain medication, but it didn't work. Eventually, he started taking injections to treat the pain. No doubt, he experienced frustration with the medications and likely his pain doctor as well. Why wouldn't they help him? An x-ray finally revealed the problem. There was a nasty four-inch knife blade lodged in his skull. Fuyan had been attacked by a robber four years earlier, and he'd been cut on the side of his jaw, but no one realized that the blade had broken off inside his head. In a delicate surgery, they were able to remove the corroded blade without damaging it or any of the arteries around it. I think something similar happens in all of our lives. The number one thing we want from God and often expect from Him is comfort and relief. It's easy to see him as a divine pain reliever, but he knows that what we need is deeper than that. While he does sometimes just ease our symptoms, he's more committed to surgery, and that surgery is often a lifelong process. Today's passage helps us to see some of the aspects of that surgery and shows us why Jesus doesn't heal everyone, at least not in the way that we're expecting. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. If you don't have a Bible handy, you can click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Luke 5, verses 17 to 26. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men who were, bringing, uh, who were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to find him and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. An amazement seized them all, and they glorified God 
and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of God. Now, the first people we meet in this passage are the ones who see Jesus as a healer, but learn that he's more. Often we want painkillers, and Jesus wants to do surgery. He sees the sickness underneath the sickness. Some people see Jesus as a healer, but learn that he's more. As the scene opens in verse 17, it feels like a religious Super Bowl of some kind. There's tension in the air. Jesus is teaching and there are Pharisees and teachers of the law gathered from every village of Galilee, but also from as far away as Jerusalem. If you arrived at church for a service today and saw the first half dozen rows were all filled up with pastors and denominational leaders from across the country, you couldn't help but feel a little anxious. Pastors usually listen with an inner scorecard, and that's what's happening here. This is the first time Luke mentions the Pharisees and teachers of the law, so I should explain who they were. The Pharisees were a denomination within Judaism. They emerged shortly after the Maccabean revolt, and they were committed to preserving righteousness in Judaism and guarding God's people against compromise. They'd started off as a positive force for good. But by the first century, many had become rigid, imbalanced, and even hypocritical. The, teacher, the teachers of the law were the professional ministers who began interpreting and teaching the Bible during the days of Ezra, and who later came to be known as rabbis. This isn't a casual visit or a chance meeting with Jesus. These groups of people have arrived with their clipboards ready, their scorecards out, and their theological pencils sharpened. They're here to make a pronouncement on Jesus. Now, while they're occupying the best seats, the rest of the verse says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. It's not as if God's power didn't always rest on Jesus, but this is a way of saying that Jesus isn't outnumbered. Although there's plenty of opposition, it's clear that God intends to do something powerful in their midst, and you can kind of feel it in the air. Now, we've already seen this in this series that the theme of Jesus's preaching was good news. He came to minister to those who were desperate for the grace of God. The problem on this day was that the room was filled with people who had come to evaluate Jesus rather than receive from him. Many of the desperate people who had come for good news were just blocked by all the crowds of people trying to get in. In verse 18, we're introduced to a group of men who had brought a paralyzed man on a mat. They knew that this was their chance and they wouldn't be denied. The typical roof in Israel at this time could be reached by an outer stairway. So they carry their friend up the steps and reach the top. So far, nothing too unusual about their behavior. But this was just a staging zone for them. They then proceed to actually dismantle the roof. And the tiles here are probably slabs of mud that were baked in the sun and then set on top of the wooden beams. They cut out of those tiles an opening big enough to lower their friend down into the middle of the, middle of the room in front of Jesus. It shows the depth of their love for their friend and just how desperate they are for his healing. Think of the sickest friend you've ever known making the most desperate plea for relief. Given the pity that the man deserves, Jesus' response, frankly, 
is puzzling. Verse 20 says, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, first century Jews didn't use the word man the way we sometimes do. You're not supposed to read it, man, your sins are forgiven you. No, Jesus isn't frustrated or annoyed. Man here just means something like friend, but it's still a weird thing to say. The man had come for healing. His friends wanted him to walk. Why does Jesus offer him forgiveness? Well, it's because he sees past the headache to the blade lodged in his skull. He sees the sickness under the sickness. He knew that many people suffered believing their condition was a result of their sin. They felt like they were being punished by God and abandoned by him. Jesus sees faith and he declares the man forgiven. He can discern that the man has put his trust in him. And so he announces spiritual healing. And it's a reminder to us that Jesus is committed to our total restoration. He really did come to rescue us. But the healing that we need is deeper and broader than most of us can see. He seeks to heal inner wounds, not just surface scars. He seeks our peace with God, not just our peace with others. And he seeks to build our faith, our righteousness, and our love. And it's often in the pain and the challenges of life that those very qualities are nurtured. Now, if you were the one whom Jesus declared forgiven, would you have argued with him? Would you have said, I came for healing, not for forgiveness? Would you have complained that the cost of the broken roof wasn't worth it if he wasn't going to make you walk? Do you accept that sometimes Jesus doesn't give you pain relief because he's performing surgery at a deeper level? Now, so far we've seen that some people see Jesus as a healer, but learn that he's more. But next we see that some people see Jesus as a teacher and can't see that he's more. They try to squeeze Jesus into a mold that he doesn't fit. They see Jesus as a teacher and can't see that he's more. Now, the man who couldn't walk wasn't the only one in the story who had a knife blade buried in his head. The crowd of religious leaders who had gathered to evaluate Jesus, they had their own problems too. And so Jesus was determined to pursue their surgery also. When he told the man that his sins were forgiven, he was deliberately provoking the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's not that he was trying to annoy them, but he did want to confront them. He wanted to confront them about the misperceptions that they had of him. And he might actually be trying to do the same thing to you today. You see, they wanted to relate to Jesus as a peer, a fellow teacher, maybe even a prophet. But Jesus sought to show them that he was more. That's why he declared the man forgiven in front of him like that. Do you see the implications of what Jesus said? If you sin against me, I can forgive you for what you did. But I can't forgive you for any other sins. If I meet someone for the first time and offer to forgive their sins, that's making a claim that only God can make. But that's the authority that Jesus is claiming for himself here. The standard Muslim response to that kind of claim is the same as a standard Jewish one. That's blasphemy. In fact, that's what the Jews who were sitting there said. Look at verse 21. 
Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Essentially, the claim is Jesus is too big for his britches. And it's the right question to ask. If you believe, as we do, that there is only one God, you need to question someone who comes along making divine claims. Jesus is either a blasphemer or the Son of God. He's either a heretic or God come in human flesh. The problem is that Jesus' teachings are too profound, and his healings and miracles are too famous for people to just see him as a heretic and a blasphemer. So instead, they ignore the uncomfortable parts of what he said, or try to make his words fit into their own mold. But the people sitting right in front of him are surely the best judges of what he actually said. Jesus was either a heretic or the son of God. He can't just be a good guy and a religious teacher. This comes out throughout the Gospels. For example, in John 10, 33, the Jewish leaders say, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Or a few verses later, Jesus responds in verse 36. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God. Blasphemer or Son of God? Those are the two options. Jesus can't just be an inspiring moral teacher. Notice also how Jesus refers to himself in verse 24. He's making the point that his actions prove his authority. But watch how he says it. He says, That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Did you hear it? Why is Jesus referring to himself in the third person? Unless it's Elmo, we usually get uncomfortable when people do that, right? But Jesus actually calls himself the Son of Man 80 times in the Gospels. And every time he did, it was like a riddle that forced people to consider who he really is. On the one hand, it stressed his humanity. He wasn't just a vision or an angel. He was born to a father and a mother. But if the point of the title was just to say, he's a regular guy, why would he need the title at all? Why keep repeating it? I'm the son of a man, but if I started referring to myself like that, you'd think I was really weird, right? You couldn't help but ask the same question that people in the first century would have asked about Jesus' use of the term. Why? As they asked that question, their minds would eventually go to a prophecy in Daniel where a Messiah-like figure called one like a son of man comes to God the Father, called there the Ancient of Days. And he's given authority that all people should worship him. Listen to the prophecy yourself in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
Now, a Jewish reader would come to this section in Daniel and ask, who is this son of man who stands in the presence of the ancient of days? Who is this one who has all authority and honor and rule? Who is this one whom all the peoples of the earth are to serve? Jesus came to this earth and said repeatedly, it's me, I'm the one. The question is, do you believe him? Do you see what his miracles and healings are all pointing to? Or do you sit with the people who cry, blasphemy? Are you one of those who see Jesus as a teacher, but can't see that he's more? If so, then what he did next was intended to persuade you. But first, let's recap where we are. We started by looking at the people who saw Jesus as a healer, but learned that he's more. Then we saw the people who see Jesus as a teacher and can't see that he's more. Finally, they're the people who see Jesus as authority and are moved to worship. People like to think of Jesus as a great moral teacher. But if you look at passages like this one, there's literally no moral teaching. His identity is the point. He's come offering forgiveness of sins, and he's trying to persuade people that he has the authority to do so. So in verse 23, he asks this. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you, because there's no way of proving whether they are or not. It's much harder to tell a paraplegic to stand up and walk, because if they don't, you look stupid. So Jesus offers to say the harder thing to prove his authority to say the other thing. In verse 24, he says this, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And the man stands up, picks up his mat and walks home. Jesus is given an irrefutable healing to support an unprovable claim. And remember that this took place in a rural village in Galilee. People in the countryside know each other's business. They knew this paraplegic and his history. If he were just someone planted in the audience, people would have started shouting, fraud! Instead, verse 26 says this, amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe. Notice this isn't just talking about the response of the man who's been healed. In response to the one man's healing, there are spontaneous shouts of praise going up throughout the crowd. There's a sense of wonder and awe, like when people see Niagara Falls for the first time or sit at the edge of the Grand Canyon. I wonder if you understand why. If you get this, it not only helps you understand why Jesus doesn't heal everyone, but it fills you with praise, even if you're not the one who's got the miracle. One man's healing brings about an entire crowd celebration, and it's intended to bring about the same for us. And that's because Jesus's healings were always signs, never destinations. Jesus's healings point to his compassion. They show his compassion. They prove his mercy. If you've ever wondered whether God cares about what you're going through, look to his healing as proof of his love. 
He hasn't abandoned you. He walks with you in compassion. But Jesus' healing also proves his authority to forgive sins. Broken bones aren't anyone's worst problem. We need spiritual healing, not just physical repair. The headache's only a symptom. Jesus' healing shows that he can do the surgery. It shows that he's committed to removing the blade. But the blade is deeply lodged inside us, and it won't be fully remo removed from any of his followers until we pass from this life into the next. But we can have confidence that the surgery has begun. The process has started. And Jesus finishes what he starts. But finally, it also shows that he's the son of man who's been given glory and a kingdom by the ancient of days so that all people would serve him. It proves that the Savior's rescue mission has begun. He's establishing his kingdom and it won't pass away. It'll never be destroyed. Jesus still heals people today. He still does miracles and he still works in compassion and mercy. But the healings are signs, not destinations. So ask yourself where you stand in this story. Are you so desperate for healing that you'd rip apart your neighbor's roof to get one? Can you still rejoice if Jesus says, for now, I'm going to heal your spiritual sickness. For now, I want you to find your joy and forgiveness and the forgiveness is real. And know that I'm committed to getting the whole blade out. Or maybe you see what's happened to your health or your circumstances as evidence. God's given up on you. Proof that he's abandoned you. If you've put your faith in Jesus, know that your sins truly are forgiven. You stand in a place of acceptance and love with the Father. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you've still got a clipboard out to critique Jesus instead of trusting him. Or maybe you're just ignoring the parts of him that don't fit with what you believe. He's challenging you to see that he's either a blasphemer or the savior. He's either a heretic or the son of God. Hear his words, see his works. He's trying to persuade you to believe and find life in him. Now, maybe you do believe. You have found life in him. And your health may not be perfect, but you can walk. But there's no wonder. There's no awe. You've forgotten how to worship. Feel the glory of the one who says, your sins are forgiven you. Seek the one who has the power of the Lord to heal. Worship the one who is both son of man and son of God. And know that he still rewards those with the faith to rip up the roof tiles to get closer to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus we find not just a healer, but someone who is committed to our total salvation, completely rescuing us from the wounds, the pain, the physical challenges of this life, but far beyond that, getting inside and dealing with the deeper sickness within. Dealing with those things that keep us from health. Dealing with 
the the pain that we feel on the inside, the pain of feeling like we're abandoned and worthless. Thank you, Father, that in Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness from all of our sins, that we can stand accepted before you. And I pray for anyone who stands apart from that, who's just tried to fit Jesus into a mold that he can't fit. Father, give them the faith to come to Jesus for healing, to come to Jesus for forgiveness, to turn from sin and give themselves in faith to Jesus. And give all of us, Father, that hunger to know you, the hunger to get close to Jesus, the faith that rips up up roof tiles and uh, gets desperate in our own sense of need for the redeeming work of Jesus Christ day by day. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to see why Jesus doesn't heal everyone, but also why his healings are intended to give you hope and draw you to worship today. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.